Let me along with Brother Michael say that I am excited about next Sunday, the baptism. We've had a young man come and say he wants to be baptized. And so I just want to reiterate what he said. If you've never been baptized, you've repented of your sin, you've put your trust in Christ, be baptized. Jesus was baptized. And so it is one of those sacraments that bind us together as believers. It, it's just something that we can do together and, and, and rejoice in, in each other, and it, and it binds us together. And so I hope that you'll be a part of that. If, you, if you've been baptized before, you've, you, your life has drifted away from the Lord, and you say, I'd really like to be baptized again, we believe in that. So if you want to be rebaptized, please let Brother Michael know, and we will do spontaneous baptisms. I'm reminded in the Bible, I love the story where Peter was, was, uh, had an encounter with the eunuch, and the eunuch was, he opened the scriptures to the eunuch and showed him about Christ, that that's who he was reading about in Isaiah. And the Bible says he got down and he said, hey, what prevents me from being baptized right now? And Peter said, there's a body of water right there, let's go do it right now. And so uh, it's a special time, and we hope that you'll first be here and be a part of it, and then if you've never been baptized, be baptized. Just a quick update on the pastor. He is having his surgery this Tuesday, hopefully around midday, I think. Is that right, Sister Carol? So this Tuesday, be praying for Pastor Don, pray this surgery goes well, and that uh, relief from the pain, and that soon, maybe in the next couple of weeks, he'll be back in the pulpit. That's where he really wants to be, and that's where God's called him to be. And I know he appreciates the prayers, the food, the things, and so uh, it is this Tuesday, and we'll continue to pray uh, for Pastor Don. Um, this Thursday night... Uh, we, we were finally able to get back together as a group and as men, and, and uh, Tammy's got, got a picture up there, I think, and uh, boy, that, that's a motley crew right there, isn't it? So, uh, but there was about 15 of us that made it out to Bennett Point Grill, and it was just good to be together again and to fellowship again, and you know what we did? We had a time of testimony. The Bible says we overcome by what? The, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we had some men go around church and give some powerful testimonies about what God has done in their life. And I think it encouraged every man that was there. I know it encouraged me. And I'm just going to tell you, looking at a strong group of men, and I think when you have a strong group of men in your church, you've got a good, solid foundation. And we got a strong group of men, of God-seeking men in this church. And I think we, uh, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. And I think, I think we sharpened each other a little bit. Thursday night and so but I will say this now we were at Bennett Point Grill we had our own little personal room and in walks these three ladies from the church and I don't know if they were there to spy on us guys I don't know what was going on and the time we were there so I don't know if they didn't trust us or what was going on but they had some we had some spies in our midst so but it was a great time and uh, I look forward to doing it some more we're going to be renting a uh, the park uh, you know before COVID we, we went out to the park and fellowship as a church we got that set for June so it's just nice to be able to get back together and be in each other's presence and, and build each other up. So this morning we are going to wrap up our series on the Ten Commandments. And uh, many of you have had some encouraging things to say. I appreciate that. Um, my goal is, is that it has challenged you as much as it has challenged And I thought it was fitting this morning that, G that uh, Judy and her song, that he is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And really what the commandments are about are about the lordship of Jesus Christ. Have you submitted your life? Have you submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ? 
Have you submitted your relationships to him? Have you submitted your finances to him? Is he number one in your life? That's really what the commandments boil down to. They're about lordship. And as I went through those things, many times I was challenged within myself. There were some places that maybe I have not fully surrendered myself to God. And he's still working on all of us. And I thank God for that. But this morning we're going to finish up with the ninth commandment which is found in Exodus 20 and 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. If there's anything, there's a lot of things that trouble me in our society today. But if there's anything that troubles me as much as any, it is the fact that with everything that seems to be going on, I don't know what's true. There is so much, and you would think with the 24-hour news cycle of our nation today, with social media, that if we ever knew what was true, it would be today. But I am forever trying to figure out what is true in all of this. I've experienced that probably as much in the pandemic as anything. You would have the experts come out and say, the mask work, wear the mask. And you'd have another expert say, no, the masks don't work. The vaccines work. The vaccines don't work. And so you're always saying, what in the world is true? What is, what is true? But ultimately what the battle is for is truth. The battle is for truth. And that's always been the battle. Pontius Pilate himself, when Jesus was standing before him and he was trying him, he told Pilate, he said, I bear witness to the truth. And Pilate asked a question that still reverberates through history. Pilate said, what is truth? What is truth? And I think we still live in a world today where people are seeking truth whether they know it or not. And I, I want to tell you something, church, and I know many of you experienced it. This is truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. And he may not tell you how to, whether you get a vaccine or not, or wear a mask or not, or what's happening in the war is, is, is true or not. I heard something recently that I thought was very interesting. It said the first thing to die in war is the truth. But it will tell you how to live. It will tell you how to respond in the midst of the circumstances. Because what the Word tells me is that when the Holy Spirit comes within me, Jesus said, when I go away, I'll send another, and He will testify of the truth. And when He indwells you, He guides you into all truth. And that's where truth comes from. And I think it was fitting that we end the Ten Commandments series with this idea of truth and not telling a lie or not bearing false witness. And that all this mess that we deal with, everything we've talked about through this series, all the things we deal with in our society started because of a lie. And so the title of the sermon this morning is The Big Lie. The introduction says, It is fitting that we end this series with the commandment to, tell, to not to tell a lie since the fall of man was based on a lie of the devil. It was that lie that Eve believed that separated man for the, that separated man from God. It was that lie that led to sin that is the root cause of violence, war, poverty, racism, and all other social ills that our world deals with. I sat on a many of a committee when I was still with the police department trying to figure out what do we do about all this crime? What do we do with all these issues that lead to crime? And it was always come down to these root causes. You know, Poverty, lack of education, fatherlessness, 
all these things. And those are root causes of crime. There's no doubt about it. And unfortunately, many times I would be meeting with a group of pastors who wanted to talk about this. Those are root causes. But just once, I particularly wanted a pastor to say, let's get to the root, root cause, which is sin. And we can throw money at things, and we can have programs, and we can throw those things. Those do not change the heart of a man or a woman. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit that draws the sinner to Christ changes the heart of a man or a woman. That's the root of root causes. That's what leads to all these things. A lie is defined as an untrue statement with the intent to deceive. It is the deception of the lies that God hates. And that we as followers of Christ should avoid. But our nation and people, we're, I think we're very comfortable with lie telling. Have anybody ever told you a lie? And you knew when they were talking to you, that they just told me a bald-faced lie. I, I've experienced that. I know that was a lie. But they, they, it rolled right off their lips like it was nothing. That was a lie. A couple of statistics I found out of our daily bread. It says lying seems to be a way of life for many people. We lie at the drop of a hat. The book, The Day America Told the Truth, says that 91% of those surveyed lie routinely about matters they consider trivial. And 36% lie about, about important matters. 86% lie regularly to their parents. 75% to friends. 73% to siblings. And 69% to spouses. I found some of the most famous, what they call most famous American fibs. Such as this, the check is in the mail. I'll start my diet tomorrow. One size fits all. Open wide, it won't hurt a bit. And lastly, it's not the money, it's the principle. So those are just a couple of kind of the tongue-in-cheek little fibs that we might tell here in the United States. But lying's a big deal. Trying to deceive people is a big deal. Why is it a big deal? You know, if there's anything that bothers me more than anything that I see going on in our country, is I, I want to trust my government. I do. But I think so many times I see that, I'm like, I, they're lying to me. And they'll say, what we'll say and what we'll see pundits say is they, they spin the truth. There's no such thing as spinning the truth. It's either true or it's not true. But they'll tell us things and if you've heard it said, a lie told enough becomes the truth. And we see that. They say it over and over and over, and people start to believe it. I give this as a, as a scenario only because it's the most recent in the current administration, because they all do it. I don't want to say all. I think we have, I know we have some godly government leaders, and I thank God for that. But n not too long ago, the, the head of the Department of Homeland Security stood in an interview, and I watched it. He said, the border's not open. And then the next image I see is people pouring through. I'm like, are my eyes deceiving me or is this, I mean, what's happening? And they say it and they say it and people begin to believe it. And it happens on both sides. They spin the truth. But lying's a big deal. Why? It is what Satan used to deceive Eve. Genesis 3, 1 through 4 said, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? <coughs> Excuse me. 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. And she believed that lie. And she took that fruit and she ate of it. And she gave her a husband who ate of it. And right then, God's word was true as it's always true. And they died that day. They died spiritually that day. And, de- and physical death entered our world that day. Based off that one big lie. And I want to say you this, church. Satan has been after God's word ever since. He will still slip up. He will still get up into your ear if you're not careful. And he will still say, did God really say that that relationship is wrong? That you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that? He's done it to me. I would imagine he's done it to you. He still is attacking the word of God. But God's word is true. It has always been true. And it always will be true. Heaven and earth may pass away, but his word will never pass away away it's two of the seven things that God hates Proverbs 6 16 through 19 these six things the Lord hates yes even seven are an abomination to him a proud look a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans feet that are swift and running to evil a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. Two of the seven deal with lying. And lastly, why? Because when it comes to deception and lies, Satan himself is the father of them. In John 8, 44, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was really starting to dress them down on the hypocrites that they were for trying to deny him, trying to deny the truth of who he was. And he said this to them in John 8, 44, You are of your father the devil, and your desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Lying is a big deal, and it's something that we as Christians should avoid. Before I got into how we violate this commandment today and how we hold this commandment, I felt it important to talk about some of the lies that Satan still tells today. He's still in the lying business. He doesn't have any new tricks. He just repackages them. And I think it's important that we guard against those things. And so I've got a few of the lies that he still tells us today as his believers and as a culture at large. First, that he doesn't exist He doesn't exist. If he can get you or me to believe he doesn't even exist, then we don't even have to worry about him. How do we fight against an enemy that we don't believe exists? 59% of Christians say that they believe Satan is just a symbol of the evil of the world. He's not a real being. He's not a, a, a real person. But he is. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus himself said that, he come, that did Satan come not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
There is a battle raging, church, for the, your soul, the soul of your family, the soul of America, and the soul of the world. One of the most fascinating books that I read recently was a book called The Unseen Realm, written by Dr. Michael Heiser. And he talked a little bit about how early century Christians would have been much more in tune to the spiritual warfare that was going on than we are today. See, today in America, we've got everything. We don't, we don't have to worry about what's going on in the spiritual warfare. We've got everything we need here. But church, the battle is raging in the, in the heavenlies as much as it's ever been raging. We just, and we experience it in the natural. But every battle that we face, that I face, that you face, is ultimately spiritual warfare. That's why prayer is so important. That's why it is so important to pray. That is spiritual warfare. And it's hard sometimes. I know it is. Sometimes I get down to pray, whether it's on Friday night or at home, and I just feel like I'm just, it's just not connecting. It is connecting. It is connecting. There's spiritual warfare going on. And Satan is the author of it. Next, he'll tell you, he'll tell you, God doesn't love you. He does not love you. In a, in a nation, and especially with people who desire to know what love is, he doesn't love you. Why, why doesn't he love you? One, he'll tell you because you're not good enough. Or that you've been too bad. You're not good enough. I don't know that I speak for Brother Dan or Brother Michael or Sister Antoinette, but I know sometimes, even as I come up here into this pulpit, he is always quick to remind me sometime, you have no business up there. Maybe you who sing in the worship team feel that way sometime. Maybe you who walk into this church sometimes say, I've been too bad. God can't love me. Let me tell you, and I've said this to many times when I'm discipling or working with young men because I know it happens. I said, if you ever get this in your spirit or in your ear that says, don't go to that church anymore. You don't belong in there with those people. Those are good people. You've been a bad person. Satan is talking to you. Don't listen to him. Anytime he says you don't belong amongst the saints, you get there as hard as you can get there. Don't lay in that bed and say, well, you know, he's probably right. I'm just a, I'm a good for nothing. That's not true. That's not what the Bible tells us. That's why knowing God's word is so important. And Romans 5, 8 tells me this. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still out in the world, while you were still living the way you were living, Christ went to a cross for you. He knew you. He knew you by name. And he still went to that cross. If it had just been one of us, he would have gone to the cross. But he went to the cross for every man and woman while they were still yet a sinner. That's why it's important to know God's word. You know, we ain't the only one. Satan come up and tempted Christ himself. He come up and he tried to tempt him. And you know what Christ used to defeat the devil and to run him off? His word. His word. He would say, it is written. It is written. It is written. And that's why it's important when you get here, when you get to that point where you say, you know, I just don't feel like I'm, a, I'm just not a good enough person. You need to know what the scriptures say about you. You need to know who you are in Christ. Not who he slips up into your ear and tries to tell you that you are. And if you, don't, if you don't want to read but one chapter, write this down in the margin. If you've got a pen, just read Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. I love to go sometimes and read Ephesians 1. Because it tells me that in Christ, and if you've come to the Lord, you've put your trust in Him, you belong to Him now, the Scripture says that you're in Christ. And this is what it says you have in Christ. 
So when the devil starts at you, go to Ephesians 1 and say, guess what? In him I have redemption. In him I have forgiveness of sins. In him I have an inheritance. In him I have salvation. And in him I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's who you are. And don't let him tell you anything any different. And yes, there'll be struggles. Yes, there'll be times you fail. But when you do, you repent, you get up, you brush your knees off, and you drive on. And don't let him tell you you're not good enough. But also, and this is the real challenge in the American culture today to me, don't think you're too good. Because there's a lot of people out there, they're good. If you've done any witnessing, that's what they'll tell you. I'm good. You're not good. The Bible tells me I'm not good. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah 17 and 9 says it like this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? My heart's wicked. Your heart's wicked. The Bible tells us we were conceived in sin. There's only one answer for it. And it's Jesus Christ. He's what makes me good. He's what makes me righteous. It's not within my own self. It's not within my own power. It's not within my own authority or your own authority. But we talk to people today and they'll say this. Go out to South Point today. Ask 10 people if you die or you want to go to heaven and hell. They'll tell you heaven. You say why? They'll say because I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And then they'll say this. I never killed nobody. They'll go straight to the murder. Never mind the fact that what did the Ten Commandments say? You say something out of anger to your brother and sister. It tears them down. It attacks their character. The Bible says you just murdered them. We're all guilty before him. But people are good. And if Satan can make you think you're a good person, then he can keep you. Don't, what do you need that for? What do you need to go over there with those, that church full of hypocrites? Because you're good. I tell you, church, sometimes I'm reminded even today that I'm not good. And I'm glad I'm reminded of that. It's nothing like to feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit and know that I belong to him. And even in my failure, I still belong to him. And that my heart can be deceitfully wicked. And I need God's guardrails that we've been studying on to keep me in check. And they keep me in check. So how do we violate this commandment? How do we violate it? First, telling lies. But what I want you to note is the commandment prohibits malicious non-truths, not all non-truths. Now, there's one thing I love about Brother... There's a lot of things I love about Brother Jimmy. I just love Brother Jimmy. Everybody loves Brother Jimmy. But Brother Jimmy on a regular basis, and he's already got me this today before the message, will come up to me and say, you know, I kind of don't agree with something you said. That does not bother me one bit. I hope you know enough about God's Word to come up sometime to say, I, I look at this a little bit different, Brother Larry. Now, if you come up and say, I, I, I disagree that Jesus is the only way to heaven, I'm going to say, Brother, we need to pray, and we need to pray hard. But there's some things we can disagree on and still be brothers and sisters in the Lord. But he got me this morning on the first thing. He's done circled that one right there. He said, I can't wait to hear what you got to say about that. Where it says the commandment prohibits malicious non-truths, not all non-truths. So what do you mean? What do you mean? I said in these commandments sometimes people will take you straight to the extreme to test you. Have you ever heard anybody say this? So you mean to tell me, you say you don't tell lies. You mean to tell me if your wife comes in and says, honey, do I look big in this dress? What you going to say? I know what you better not say. I don't care what you think. I know what you better not say. 
I don't care what goes through your head. You better not say it. And if you say, honey, you look fine in that dress, no matter what went through your head, that might have been a non-truth. What was your intent? Was it to deceive her? No, it was not to deceive her. It wasn't to do harm. Hopefully she'll never put you in that position. The same goes true for the women. I don't never ask my wife how I look in anything. But she'll tell me anyway. I walked in some time and she I don't like that shirt. That don't go together. Okay. Then what do you want me to wear? But we can look to the scriptures in that. The Hebrew midwives, they were supposed to kill all the firstborn. They were supposed to tell them the firstborn. They hid the babies. And then they went and made up a story to the Pharaoh. And then you have one person who told a non-truth who made it into the Hebrews 11 hall of faith. Rahab. She hid the spies. They came up there looking for them. She said, where are these spies? I don't, I don't know where they are. They were hidden. That was not true. That was a non-truth. But they feared God. And they were doing something that was because they feared God more than that. And I'm going to let you work that out. But I'm going to tell you something. God's just. And I'm going to tell you what we have today. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And most people, particularly believers, when they're about to tell a, non, a, a lie or they just told a lie, you know it. I don't have to tell you about it. You're like, I just told a bald-faced lie or I'm about to tell a lie. Because the Holy Spirit convicts you of it. And there are two places, two places where people will lie that, that typically are a violation of the commandment. Fear and pride. Fear and pride. And the fear I have, that's part of our sin nature. How many of you have ever gone in and caught your child doing something or watched them do something they weren't supposed to be doing and you walk in and say, did you do that? And what do they say? Mm-mm, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. You didn't do that. Mm-mm, I didn't do it. I watched you do it. I didn't do it. <laughs> They'll lie. And we see it in, in politicians. They get caught. We know they've done something they shouldn't have done, and they'll lie and lie. And even every, everybody who's listened to them, they are lying. Because they've done something they shouldn't have done, and rather than own the consequences, rather than try, because we as Christians times do things we shouldn't do, rather than saying, God, I got it wrong here, I repent of that, and I'm not going to keep telling a lie about it. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. That's a true statement. And the lies get bigger and bigger and bigger because we're getting caught. And it can go to extremes. This is a true story I'm about to tell you, and it's happened more than once. When I spent some time in a, in, in a drug unit in Durham, got a guy, they had drugs in their pocket, pull them out. Got, got these drugs in your pocket. They ain't my drugs. Well, I just took them out of your pants. Those ain't my pants. Well, whose pants are they? I don't know, but they ain't my pants. They ain't my drugs. That's a true statement, and it's happened more than once. Well, we'll let you take that to the judge and see if that'll fly. But it's, they're caught. And the only thing, our, our default reaction when we're caught is to lie. But as believers, let's take every thought captive and say, there's no need in lying about this. I just got caught. Fear. Pride. How about stolen valor? You ever seen these people who go out and say they were military heroes and all this stuff? There's some people still sitting in our Congress today that's done that. Lied about their military service. We lie about, we, and it comes into exaggeration. We lie, we, we want to make ourselves look better than we are. Just a straight out lie. There's some other things that spin out of this, and I want to take the next three together because they're very important in the church. That is gossip, 
breaking confidentiality, and slander. Gossip in, in, in Proverbs 11 and 13 in the NIV, it says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. And James 5 and 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then slander is, a, is false or malicious statements that damage a reputation. Gossip is a problem in any organization. Most of you in here have worked in, out into the business world, whether, Dan, it was at Duke or whether it was uh, Brother Mike at, at, at the grocery store where you worked or whatever. People like to talk. They like to get the scoop. They like to come up and say, hey, guess what I heard about so-and-so. I mean, they just love it. They eat it up. And they come and say, I heard this about this person. I heard this about that person. And it runs through an organization. And by the time it gets four or five down, it's changed. It's not even true. People have added things to it, took things from it. And it's destructive in a church. And it happens in a church. It's happened here. You get people out talking. And clearly their intent is not to build someone up. It's to tear them down. And we're not to do that to each other. And the Bible talks a lot about gossip. A lot. And I included it with breaking confidentiality because we should all have someone that we trust. That was what was so refreshing to hear these testimonies from these men. I would not go out and say, guess what this person said or that person said. Guess what all that stuff they said? That stuff's under the blood. God's forgotten about it. Why am I going to bring it up? I don't care what they've done. God doesn't care what they've done. It's gone. As far as the east is from the west, they're a new creation. All we do from it is build on it and look and say, hey, we, we all come to this thing from different roads. We all, all might have had different journeys, but we're all right here the same at the foot of this cross. And I'm not going to tear them down. I'm going to do everything I can to build them up. And I need, I need a confidential, I need an accountability partner. I don't know if you have one, men with men, women with women, but you need one. And if they share something to you, the last thing you need to do is go out and say anything about it. Unless it's something of criminal nature or something that affects the integrity of the church. And then you go, go to the leadership of the pastor. You don't run around like a lot of times people say, well, hey, we need to be praying for Brother Larry because guess what? That's not how that works, church. It's not how it works. Because many times it does end up in faults and malicious statements that damage reputation. That's how we violate it. And there's many other ways. But we should be people of truth. So how do we keep it? Be people of truth in what we say and in how we live. Not just in what we say, but people should be able to depend on us. They should say that what we tell them is true. But do you live a truth? See, Jesus was truth. He said he was truth. Do you live what you say you believe? You know, I've heard it said that show me your life and I'll show you what you believe. Show me how you live and I'll show you what you believe. We should live truth. We should live through the truth of that Holy Spirit and show that to a world that doesn't understand truth. In a world that's ever-changing, that the values are ever-changing, we stay constant in what we believe and what we live because we live this truth. Lastly, let our yes be our yes. Matthew 5 and 37. Jesus said, but let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. More than these is from the evil one. If you say yes, let it be yes. 
be people of truth. So there you have them, those 10 commandments. And I would like to start, finish where we started just by simply recapping them. Exodus 20 and 1. Exodus 20 and 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. God's perfect law that converts the soul. It's been my desire through this as we go through this. And some of you have said it's convicted you. I'm glad that it has. Because it says that his perfect law is what converts the soul. It does two things, as we said in the opening. It makes me conscious of sin, and then it instructs me in righteousness. And as I look out over this congregation, and I think about these laws, because the Bible says that if I break one of them, in James it says if you break just one of them, you broke them all. So as I look out over the congregation, and as you stand here and look at me, I can tell you I'm looking at a bunch of lawbreakers. I am. I'm looking at a bunch of lawbreakers. And you're looking at one. But I got good news for lawbreakers. First, we're all lawbreakers. Romans 3 and 23 says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All that law does, it makes me conscious of my sin. Romans 3.20 says that, the deeds of, that therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is knowledge of, the sin, of sin. It says by the deeds of the law. Even if you could keep this law perfectly, it can't justify you. It can't make you right before God. You can't keep it. But even if you could, it can't justify you before God. And then Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And lastly, you're free. You are free. Romans 8, 2 through 4. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh... The law can't make me righteous. The law can't make you righteous because it's weak in the flesh. We're going to miss it. We're going to fail. We're going to break it. It's weak to make us righteous. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Jesus said he didn't come to do away to abolish. He came to fulfill it. The law, these commandments have not been done away with. They still loom large over us. They still loom large over our society. And they still demand their requirement. They still demand the requirement. If we break the law, if we're lawbreakers, the Bible tells me this. It's pointing to a man who wants to die, and after this, the judgment. 
And when I die, I'm going to go and I'm going to stand before a perfectly righteous and holy God. And so are you. And I'm going to be judged according to his perfect law. And if I'm standing there within my self-righteousness, I'm going to be found guilty. I can tell you that. I will be found guilty. And I will be eternally separated from him. But if I stand there in Christ, he has fulfilled the perfect righteousness of that law. He came, the Bible says he came, he just didn't, he became sin. He became all the things that I've done wrong. He took those to a cross. Now when I stand there, I don't stand within my self-righteousness. I stand within the righteousness of Christ. And God doesn't see my past. He doesn't see my failures. He sees his son. And therefore, the law has been fulfilled. It has to be fulfilled. It's been fulfilled in Christ. The requirements of that law have been fulfilled in him. And if you'll come and put your trust in him, if you'll come and kneel your knee before him and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. One of my favorite, I don't know if it was an eyewitness account or if it was a parable in the Bible, is where the Pharisee came into the, two people came into the sanctuary. One of them was a tax collector, which was another name for sinners. The other one was a Pharisee, self-righteous guy. The Pharisee comes in and he's over there and he's in his self-righteousness. And he looks over here at this sinner. And he says, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there. I pay my tithes. I live right. I do all these things. I'm glad I'm not like that guy. And the Bible says that the sinner just stands there. He won't even look up. Have you ever? I've been under conviction of sin. It's hard to even look up. All you want to do is kneel and weep if you're really under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Me. Because I sense the heaviness of my sin and at that moment the compassion of his forgiveness. He won't even look up. The Bible says he stands there and he beats his chest. And he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus told his disciples, he said, that man went away justified. Because he knew, I can't do this. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So we'll stand before a holy God and we'll either stand there in our self-righteousness or we'll stand there in his righteousness. I think I'll choose to stand in his righteousness. And I hope you will. And so if you're here this morning and if you've never put your trust in Christ, he's calling you to lay it down and put your trust in him. And in that, we are free. And in that, we begin to walk according to the flesh and not according to our spirit. I'm sorry, we begin to walk in the spirit, not according to our flesh. Let's begin that right. Brother Matt, will you guys come up? And it's it's a lifelong journey, church. I wish I could tell you that, hey, you're going to come to the Lord. You're going to put your trust in him. And all of a sudden, everything's going to be wonderful in life. You won't struggle with any of these larger implications of the commandments. That's not been true in my life. It's not true in the life of most of the people that I talk to. But I knew what? I watch. I heard the testimonies of those men. I know my own testimony, and I watch the, as we grow closer to the Lord and closer to the Lord, and we begin to walk in the Spirit more and Spirit more, and we don't satisfy the desires of the flesh more, and we come more and more like Christ until the day we're home, and we stop the struggle, it's all over, and we spend eternity, and we're forever away from sin. We don't have to deal with it anymore. I hope that's what you've experienced. As the team starts to play, I'm only going to wait for just a moment. I'm going to ask if you will. And you don't, you've never put your trust in Christ? You've never repented of your sin? What, what, what is this? How hard is this, Brother Larry? Very simple. I just told you. I'm real careful with those people who sometimes will say, there's no evidence in the Bible of a sinner's prayer. Yes, there is. I just explained it to you. But it wasn't a methodical, heartless 
words. It was from a person who was convicted of their sin and the weight of their sin. And all they could do was look down and beat their chest and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's not what you say. You don't have to say a word. Because when the Holy Spirit begins to move in that heart and convict that heart, and you know at that moment something's not right, i I got to get something right, get it right. And the Scripture says that today is the day of salvation. We love you, and we thank you, and we want you to experience it, what it is to be a follower of the Lord. If you'll stand, please.